so thankful for who you are. We're thankful that you are a loving Heavenly Father. You're a good Father. And uh, Lord, you think of that promise where if we ask, Lord, you're not, you're not going to give us something that's, that's wrong, that's going to hurt us. You're going to give us what's best. In fact, Lord, you say, why, why are we buying things that are not bread? Why are we putting our energy in things that don't last? And uh, Lord, we, we need to incline our ear unto you. And we need to uh, have our hearts just open to you. And Lord, I pray tonight that as we uh, just get to know these missionaries a little bit more and hear their testimonies and hear how God, uh, what you used to disciple them, who you used to disciple them, and certain truths and certain things that just um, you used in their lives, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that we would be open and that we would just just say, yes, Lord, yes. And we would trust you and, and just see what you do in our life, Lord. Uh, what more can we do, Lord? And I just pray that, that you would be glorified this evening. And um, I just pray that it would be an enjoyable time, a neat time, and, and uh, just a time that we can give you glory. Lord, we love you now, and we thank you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Missionaries, why don't you come on up? Whichever, come up this way if you want. I'll probably stand over here. So what I've done is I've came up with some questions to ask our missionaries, and then uh, we'll have a time where, where you all can come up with some questions uh, that you have. I know there is, uh, there is uh, some questions you want to ask them individually about their country or about their ministry. Now is not necessarily the time to ask those type of questions, okay? Um, those are questions that are good for at their table. Um, I, I mean, I have, a, I have one here, what's the most exotic food you've had on the mission field? Um, and that, that's one, that'll be neat. We can talk about some of the different customs and things that, are, that you have to work through, but as far as individual questions, well, that'll be a good for personally one-on-one um, or possibly another time, but uh, we want to really try to focus on everybody, and, and uh, so it should, should be really good. So um, I, I was wondering if somebody could just share their salvation testimony tonight. One, one of you or two of you would like to do that? Um, I think I shared my testimony to the church. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody else? I would like, like to just, just get us started, okay? Thank you for being the brave one. And going. I uh, grew up in a Christian home, and my parents, they were first-generation Christians, so they didn't know very much when we were first starting out and learned uh, it was neat to see them grow as we grew uh, but I was in Awana clubs about the age of seven when it's like a light bulb went off in my head it's funny with the kids you hear it you hear it you hear it and then all of a sudden one day you think wait a second I don't think I'm saved and and you you finally understand it Amen. and so I, that night when the, the leader asked if uh, anyone here was unsaved and wanted to be saved I raised my hand and um, during game time, she let, walked me through the plan of salvation, and I received Christ that night. And, and our, our church hadn't been in a habit of having invitations at that point, but my dad was very determined. He wanted me to go forward and tell <laughs> the church that I'd gotten saved. And so uh, I, I remember the Sunday I went forward and, and told the church, and it was almost like a little revival in our church because kids after that, they started doing that too. It was really a neat experience, but um, it was exciting. Uh, 
to know that was a time when, when Christ saved me, and then I got to be baptized, and I just praise the Lord for that, and, uh, and all the uh, decisions that I've been able to make over the years for him, and mm -hmm. even this decision to go to the mission field, it's very exciting. Amen. Thank you for sharing, John. Anybody else like to share? You know, back in 1980, we had an evangelist come to our church by the name of Joe Shadowins. He's from Highland Park Baptist Church in Tennessee. And um, I'll never forget him. I was only a 10-year-old boy, and this guy did yo-yo tricks. I mean, <laughs> he could walk the dog and all of the around the world. And so it really fascinated me. You know, as a 10-year-old, I said, this is the coolest preacher I have ever seen. And, <laughs> and so when he got up to preach, I probably paid attention more than I probably would have. I thought he was awesome. And uh, that night he preached a message on hell. And, uh, man, I was scared. And we, My dad had just been saved a year before, so we didn't have a whole lot of church time yet. And uh, that night went home, and my dad led me to the Lord in the living room of our apartment. Mm. Wow. Amen. 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 How much? Oh, go ahead. I was saved when um, I was five years old, and... Even at that age, I think I learned to read when I was barely four because wow. my brother was reading, and, well, whatever he could do, I was going to do. <laughs> and um, anything that had words on it, I was always reading it. And I brought home some of the tracks that our church had in the, the rack, and it had a, a purple one, like Seven Steps to Salvation for Kids. And it was Sunday afternoon, and I'm sitting in the living room, and I was reading it. And, you know, it goes through the very basic plan of salvation. I said, okay, I'm a sinner. Okay, do this. Okay, I don't want to go to hell. You know, uh -huh. I want I want this. And just there in my parents' living room, just wow. accepted yeah. him from the living room. Simple tract. Even a church kid can Amen. use those. So. Amen. How many of you grew up in a Christian home? All right. So, okay. Well, that's, that's wonderful. Only, only one was not. And, and you shared your testimony. And it's interesting. We've asked this question the last couple of years. And it's... It's, um, I think last year it was about half and half. So it's, it's very interesting. And there's so many blessings growing up in a Christian home. You know, uh, maybe, maybe one or two blessings that, that really helped you that you thought and that was such a, such a huge blessing to you, but also maybe even now as you look back. Anybody think of that? Having grown up in a Christian home. Yeah, yes, having grown up in a Christian home. I think one of the biggest things that influenced my life um, was having family devotions. Mm -hmm. We did that every day, whether it was, you know, when we were little, they, my parents would read out a little sort of a children's book and we would pray and then later it would be a little more intense, but I think that that really affected me. Also, my grandparents and my and my parents were missionaries, you know, mm -hmm. not, not for their whole life, but for the time when I was a child and I think that really affected me. It was a blessing. Good. How many others have had uh, missionaries in your background? Uh, parents, grandparents? Okay, Sarah. Uh, uh, how, how, which family or how was that exactly? Um, it was my dad's grandparents were missionaries to Africa. My grandpa was raised over there. Okay, cool. That's neat. That's really exciting. And I know that um, growing up in an unsaved, myself, I was, I was around the age of eight. My grandpa passed away, and it was because of that that really my parents – woke up and, and said, hey, we need to start searching and going, finding out answers, too. And so God worked in my life. So I got to see my parents get saved. And then Ro and saw my dad get over drinking and, and things. And, and just a transformation took place. That was a huge blessing to see. That was really neat, you know. Um, but uh, 
Uh, Brother Weimer, I, I did I actually, I wasn't in both services. <laughs> I was in the other Sunday school classes, so I didn't hear all of your testimony. But um, how is your family now? If, if others came to know the Lord, how they respond with you being a missionary? Yeah, my mom's like saved, my brother-in-law, um, nieces, nephews, and I have some cousins. So the, the, I was the first and witness to my family. So my best friend saved and, and uh, lots of my classmates. And, yes, it was a... Uh, I, I can relate to the Icelandic people a whole lot better than um, I think uh, Vicky can, because I was raised just like the entire country, and uh, so it kind of gives me a little connection to see their status, and uh, so God is using that in my life to make connection, and uh, yes. Amen. 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 Um, who are some people that um, invested in your lives? David, you're smiling, and you haven't said anything yet, so <laughs> um, made a big impact. I, you wrote that, who's, who's the specific people, and, and it, it was interesting, you know, I, we don't want to just say, look, a, a person, but it, it is really, ministry is life-touching life, yeah. and um, I mentioned a little bit last night in my testimony about the wilds, and uh, one man took an interest in me, and he just uh, just kept working. And wouldn't give up, uh, Mac Lynch, mm. and uh, ended up being my best man, and um, had a very uh, valuable impact in my life, mm. and uh, that was very special for me. And he's just a normal person, just like the rest of us. Uses the word, and and uh, just said, you know what? Let's just let's look and see what God has in His word for both of us, and yeah. it's very special. Yeah. I'm sure you had to be teachable too, right? You had to allow him to come in and influence you. Maybe true. easier, easier with a. Someone that was real friendly and loved you, but um, it's good. Good. Anybody else want to share somebody that? You know, um, so my dad got saved in 79, and our family got into church. Dad became a deacon, and, and like in so many churches, a problem arose, and I don't know who was right and who was wrong. I don't know. I was just a kid, but the church split, and Dad started getting bitter about things, and so Dad ended up leaving and pulled us out of church for a while, and and a lot of his old habits started coming back that he had before he got saved. And so one day, um, matter of fact, it was the same day my grandmother died, my mom's mom. On the day that she died, um, dad walked out wow. not to come back. And uh, my mom was in the living room and she was, I mean, she lost her mom and her husband on the same day. Wow. And it, and she was in the living room, and she was contemplating taking her life. Mm. And when she was thinking about that, my brother and I walked in the door. Mm. And she said, it was like the Holy Ghost told me, your marriage might be over, your mom might be gone, but you've got two boys to live for. And um, so she decided, I might be a single mom, but I'm going to do right Amen. and keep these boys in church. And she's got one that's a missionary, and... Last night, this church, I uh, decided to take my brother on in New Mexico. So she's got another one that's a pastor. Mm. So I encourage you. You know, you might be going through a hard time, but, man, don't give up on those kids. Yeah. Amen. Just yeah. stay by the stuff, and you never know what God might do. Amen. Amen. Going door to door today, there was a lady, the last house, a lady I met and uh, invited her to, her her to church and then I know she had a daughter invited the daughter to Kids for Truth and um, and talked to her a little bit and she said she's tried to have her, her daughter in some vacation Bible schools and different things and you just sense I think she was a single mom and trying to still have that Bible influence and and um, 
So she's very interested. I hope she comes. But Noah Edwards, I don't think the Ed, or Daniel's here, but Noah, Noah was on that block playing next door. There was two redheaded kids, Noah and one other little girl. And, uh, and I said, by the way, this boy right here, Noah, he goes to Kids for Truth at, uh, you know, uh, on Wednesday nights too. And, and they already, the kids already knew each other. And so I said, Noah, have you invited her to church? He said, well, I'm going to do it right now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, children reaching children in that next generation is huge. So um, thank you for sharing that. And uh, not giving up on the, on the kids, that's, that's good. Anybody else want to share somebody that maybe discipled you? Well, you didn't hear all the names. I gave a lot of names when I was uh, sharing my testimony. But Glenn Smith, before I was saved, and uh, Johnny Wright. Um, a man, uh, um, um, the Moore, uh, the Moores family, Daryl Moore, um, he was an influence on me to invite people to church. I think two-thirds of the church was invited to church by him. <laughs> when, when I, and it was really encouragement uh, to me to read my, um, yeah, to invite people. Uh, Dr. Samuel Giff, I don't know if you, anybody knows him, but he, he challenged me to read my Bible and uh, an hour a day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he said you can read through the Bible three times a year if you just commit, just, just to get time with the Lord. And so committed to do that and yeah. read through 80 times now. And, 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 it's, and it helped me. It helped me. It anchors my soul. And so he was an influence. And um, Johnny, of course, discipled me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, there's a lot of people in different aspects that have discipled me and gave me, uh, motivated me to uh, do, do different things. So. Yeah. Well, as Paul said, you know, we follow me as I follow Christ, you know, and, and I think as as we, we have to open ourselves up to be discipled, you know, you have to be willing to say, hey, I, I expose yourself, be genuine, but you grow so much, and, and these people that invest, and as they're growing too, and I think one thing that's neat is in that passage is the fact that Paul is, Paul sure seems perfect, doesn't he? <laughs> but as we, as we look and have people disciple us. One of the neat things also is that they grow through these things. They, they're not always perfect. They're growing. You're seeing how they they grow through these issues in their lives, and as they're looking to the Lord, and and they're ordinary. Or God God calls us to disciple others and to be discipled. Ordinary people uh, through Christ being being challenged and discipled, and uh, for God's glory and that maturity that takes place. And so it's important. It's important for all of us in our Christian life. What what are some um, Maybe some other other than maybe the Bible, the Bible should be our main source of growth, right? Um, but has there been any maybe missionary biographies or any any books that have been a, a huge help in that way? Um, I know it, when I was in high school, one of the books I read was In His Steps. How many of you have ever read In His Steps? Yeah, that was that was really powerful. Um, some of these also some of the not left behind, but that that idea of the end times was also. Um, very interesting. I can't remember what his name is right now. Hal Lindsey? No, not Tim LaHaye. Not Left Behind. It was way before that. Um, Hal Lindsey, I think. I read Frank Peretti, too. But anyways, <laughs> that was just as a teenager, like <laughs> the way he wrote. But um, what, what about you? What are, what are some? I'll throw a book out. It's Don Richardson's trilogy, Eternity in Her Heart's Peace Child, and I can't remember the third one. But uh, Mich- Lords of the Earth. And it's a trilogy. Missionary wrote those. And... Uh, I have found and lived uh, many of the stories that he had as a missionary's perspective, reaching people. Peace, child, eternity in their hearts, and lords of the earth, Don Richardson. Challenge me. I'm going to write that down, okay? You should be writing that down, too, okay? (laughs) 
Eternity in Her Heart spoke to spoke about how you can find something in every culture that God can use to reach people, and one word helped us to reach Icelandic people more than anything. It's the word holfiv. It's the word for saved, and it's a special word, different than like rescuing or something. It's a special word that was associated with when you found a baby out in the field. The, the heathen culture was you can, if you didn't want your baby, you can put it on the mountain and let it die. But if you found that baby, it became a holfiv bar which means a, a rescue, they have a special word for rescue, which meant you didn't just rescue it like a fireman rescues somebody and delivers it once and you say goodbye, but you, you rescue it and you take it to yourself and you're responsible for that, to care for it, protect it, and, and do all things for it. So it's a special word, and, and that's what the book talks about, that eternity in hearts and good good books. Sounds really good. How many of you have ever read the book Bruco? Bruce Olson? Okay, you've read that? Boy, that's a good book. We read that as a family. I, and I've said a lot about that book in here too, but that book Bruco was really a blessing to me. What, what other, what are some other books or maybe some helps? Sarah, why don't you go? Um, well, I did mention I love reading. <laughs> the the year that I um, decided that the Lord wanted me to be a missionary, our pastor um, did a, a poster contest for the teenagers to do a mission themed poster, and the missionaries would pick winners, and um, the prize was a missionary biography that we got to pick. And um, I chose one about Darlene Diebler Rose. I don't know if some of you know it, um, but she was a missionary during World War II in the Indonesian islands in a prison camp um, for the Japanese, and just her testimony there. And that was really one of the things that kind of led me, inspired me to realize, you know, okay, I can be a missionary. And um, Fox's Book of Martyrs was, was another one that was, I don't know how many times I've read that through. Um, missionary, just the biographies about, you know, Gladys Aylward and you know, Amy Carmichael, and those really inspired me to see what they were able to do um, in the countries that they served. And it was really, really neat. And, um, Richard Wormbrand, Tor- Tortured for Christ. And, yeah. Man, thank you. I was wondering if you were a good reader, starting to read real well at four years old. <laughs> yeah. Amen. One book I really appreciated was One Candle to Burn by Kay Washer. Um, she and her husband, Dow, worked in Togo, West Africa their, most of their life, but their you know kids and grandkids have come through the wilds, and you know, they, they have a family history of going back and being missionaries, and it's just neat to see that uh, generational thing, but the, the emphasis on having one our life being one candle to burn out for Christ. Amen. And I know for me that was what I wanted. I wanted it to make a difference in a dark place. And so I think that's, you know, the Lord just used that in my life as he was directing us to go someplace where there isn't much of the light of the gospel. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? I really enjoy ESPN the magazine. <laughs> you mean Espen? We call it Espen here. No. <laughs> and uh, in Bible college, uh, we had this missions conference speaker, and I, I can't remember if he had this in published form or if he had just brought them with him. But the missionary was a Baptist mid-missionary by the name of Ben Kendrick, and he had been in Africa for years. And he, he we somehow we got a hold of volumes of his prayer letters. That he wrote, and I am telling you, they are the most fantastic prayer letters you will ever, ever read. I mean, just inspiring. And when you read those letters, it just makes you want to go and serve God. So I, I don't know if you could go to Baptist Mid and find out mm-hmm. where those letters are, but they were absolutely awesome. Amen. Yeah. 
know one when I was in college was the uh, early life and the later life of Hudson Taylor. And uh, they're kind of thick, very, very good, very, just a blessing. You just grow so much. You know, those type of books where you're growing closer to the Lord as you're reading and having a heart for missions is, is good. Amen. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll change gears just a little bit. Anybody else have anything else with maybe just the calling or um, that growth? Any other questions that anybody has? In that way, um, yeah, in the back there. Um, I want to ask Sarah how hard it is going over into a foreign land to be a missionary. Uh, I, I think you're single, I'm not sure, but how do, how do, how do you handle that as a woman? Do the people accept you? Uh, as a missionary? I think there's more to it. Why don't you share a little bit? The, the people in Moldova are very accepting of me, and um, they can't wait for me to get back. And a lot of Moldovans who were really surprised the fact that I was an American, um, they thought I was one of them. But um, in America, it is a little bit more difficult to get people who um, see the value in a, in a woman who is going over. So that has been a, a bit of a struggle. Um, so it's either going to be they're really for you or they're really against you. Yeah. And I think... Um, I think lots of times I've seen single ladies being such a huge... Uh, Amy Carmichael, right? Mm-hmm. Went over single lady. Um, Gladys Oliver. Gladys Oliver, yeah. And uh, even um, the one you read earlier, Rose, uh, Darlene mm-hmm. Kibler-Rose, she, she ended up being a... I mean, she was widowed, right? Yeah. Yeah, so as, I, as I've seen it, lots of times is the single women that go over um, have been involved in teaching schools, have been involved also to help um, as a team with a missionary, uh, maybe a couple missionary families. I've, see, I've seen them help homeschool. I've seen them help with lady ministries. We have um, the Needhams. I remember the Needhams in Cameroon, Africa. Their children now are, are growing up, and they have a lot of their daughters that are that are single, and they're going out in the bush. And they have, like, the middle school boys going with them to protect them. You know, it's, it's funny, but um, so there's... I think it's, I think it depends where you go to a little bit, sir. I think there's places that are that um, that are not as safe, to, to be honest. But obviously, we're our trust <laughs> is in the Lord. I know my wife took a three-year or no three-month mission trip over to the Marshall Islands, and the missionaries over there said, "You, as a single woman, you do not go out at night. You just don't go out. You don't go shopping or anything. You just stay home because it can be kind of unsafe." So, but our trust is in the Lord, and there's a lot of so much. You know what, um, who was it? I think it was Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor said, you give me one single uh, woman who's dedicated to the Lord, he said, I'll take her any day over a married couple. <laughs> Ponder that a little bit, and I don't mean that against any of you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good thing there's an escape door here. <laughs> Pastor, it's true. We had a, a single missionary lady work with us for 12 years, and uh, we she was phenomenal. I mean, she was a godsend, and she was our family in Iceland. And when she left our um, ministry, we had to downsize, and we could not continue the, wow. the same way without her. She yeah. so uh, the the value of the single missionary, it's 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 incredible. Yeah, we're trying to talk her to come to Iceland. <laughs> Moldova, Iceland, it's both cold areas. And we had three couples come up to help us as well, and all were not involved. 
and didn't help, and there were a trial. So I will take a single. I will agree with this missionary yeah. and say I will take one single missionary that's committed to God over a couple. Yeah, but I'll take a couple that's committed. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it it depends on the person, I think, too. But um, so so that, that that's good, and I there's just things to think through. But that yeah, praise the Lord for that, and uh, Amen. Well. Um, that gets us into uh, a little bit kind of the direction I was going is just the idea why why this why the specific field why why the Philippines why Spain Iceland Moldova I mean what are what are some of the reasons you know that I think for a lot of um, folks that sometimes that's the tough part is why we're finding out exactly some feel called to missions but where to you know it's sometimes tougher to distinguish. Um, you can read these missionary books about China or whatever, and you feel led there, but it, you're not sure if that's more of an emotional thing. Or sometimes I think, you know, just working through that. What, how about for you? Well, in the Philippines, this is a huge draw. I can play center on the basketball team. I am the center. center. <laughs> <laughs> There's not another country in the world I can go to and do that. <laughs> the Filipinos like basketball a lot. Well, they too, love don't they? Yeah. Sport, and, and it's great. So. But, on the serious side, it's, it's amazing how God uses things before you even get saved. And uh, My dad was a scuba diver, and we were up on the St. Lawrence Seaway, and he was diving, and I was running around on the beach, and um, somebody had left their hot coals on the beach, and I stepped on them, and, and when I stepped on them, I froze. And so I had third-degree burns on the bottom of my feet, and of course, my dad had enough money to scuba dive, but not enough money for insurance. And so my oh. parents were like... What are we going to do? And my mom in Oswego, New York, was working for a heart doctor as a secretary, and his name was Dr. Francisco. And I didn't know this at the time. I was just a kid, but he was Filipino. And so he heard about my feet, and I'll never forget, they brought me to their house. Now, what doctor's house have you ever gone to? Yeah. They brought me to their house, and he treated my feet for no cost. And his wife just, I mean, she fed me lumpia and everything else you can think of. And I, and where we were from, there wasn't many Asian people. And I can remember as a kid, I just falling in love with Asian people. I didn't know they were Philippine. I just knew these people, eyes were different, and I liked them. And uh, <laughs> so I, I grew up like that. And then in Bible college, uh, I'm asking God, would you please show me where you want me to go? And there was a death in the church. Matter of fact, it was um, it, it was kind of like Eddie, Eddie Trumbo's. It was a st- it was just like a stepdad, and uh, there was three missionaries in the Philippines that were all related to this man. And so these missionaries came home for their mm-hmm. funeral. And so in three days in College Chapel, we got three. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, there's more need for missionaries in the Philippines. And man, my mind went back to. That man and how good he was to me, and it was like the Lord was saying, "Dave, you already love these people. I can use you there." Mm-hmm. And so that that just did it for me. When I heard about the need, I said, "I'll go." And the Lord has confirmed that, you know, many different ways through His Word, and, mm-hmm. and then being on the field, it's just it's it's a great fit. It really yeah. is for us. Amen. Yeah. Anybody else want to share? Going down on the shore, there you go. It might be good to have everybody answer. It is interesting because I I do remember specific points of time in my life when I was exposed to the Basque country, and 
then for us, when God was was really working in our hearts, we had a love for Europe, and uh, I shared a little bit last night. Uh, we knew if we were going to make do something this purposeful, I was in midlife, that uh, we wanted to go someplace people weren't. So we started targeting directly in the 1040 window or around it, and uh, we knew we wanted to go to an unreached people group. And uh, then we started looking for a team and said, who do we know that's doing it well that we are a fit with? And uh, between a couple teams that we just had been exposed to, we had actually seen their, each of them, we had seen their children and said, ah, yeah, you know what, We're, the proof is in the pudding. We see the, the kids, how they're living. And uh, from that, then God used some circumstances. One of them is uh, sent out of where Jennifer uh, grew up in her church in Atlanta. And uh, then one come, came and said, hey, you need to take a, a mission trip with us. And uh, Jennifer curiously asked, where are you guys going? They said, we're going to the Basque country. And uh, so from that, the Lord really cemented a lot of things for us because of that. Amen. And then now I can look back and there's things that I've been reviewing about history of the Basque country. And I, I, I remember learning that when I was young, the first uh, terrorist group that I was familiar with and different sports and go, oh, yeah, that's the Basque country. Mm -hmm. and the Lord had been putting those seeds in all along. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Okay, for me, it was a five-year uh, journey. I was saved in Iceland, so, um, and, of course, um, was discipled there and started to preach there. And, um, and uh, so I was, it was connected to the people, obviously, the country. And uh, everybody thought I was going to come back. Um, to Iceland and work in, in, in and work back in Iceland it was the assumption by everybody, and um, and I would ask I would answer to people when I was in college I would tell them and when they asked me what are you going to do I'd say I'm going to go back to Iceland as a missionary, and then I met my wife and um, uh, or my my future wife we were just dating she asked me about Iceland you know, of course I told you about the interview she said she wouldn't date anybody that wasn't going to be a missionary, and um, of course I told her I was going to be a missionary and then I said Iceland and she said are there people there so we went and had this whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> And at, at the end of the conversation, um, she said to me she'd be willing to go to Iceland with me if I knew that I had God's word on it. And then, of course, that got my attention. And because uh, we can, I can go to the Bible, and whenever, you know, I don't doubt my salvation today, thank God. But when I was first saved, there were some times when I was growing in the Lord that I would question, did I do right? Did I trust the Lord? And I have verses that God showed me as I read through the Bible that they were, they were assurance verses, First John 5, 13, you know, a bunch of verses. Matthew 5, 25, all kinds of verses of that can anchor my soul in that. And the same thing with going to Bible college. I, I saw in the word of God that God wanted me to go and, and prepare to do this to do this work that I begged him to let me do. I wanted to be a preacher. And um, he and he showed me that in the book of Amos and the book of John. So I can go through and find a lot of it. And, of course, when I was in Bible college, God gave me many verses of assurance. And um, and uh, so she asked me, what's my what's my anchor for going to Iceland? And um, I said, Wow. It's a good question. I took a step back and I thought, you know, that's a real that's a real powerful question. Do I have God's word on it? And um, I went home that night after she. My, so my wife, she was she was a real good challenge to me in many areas. And um, I, I called my pastor and I said, "You pray for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna open my Bible and read. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna fast until I see where God wants me to go to Iceland." And um, it was a it was quite a while, but finally God showed me in Luke twenty four forty seven. It was chapter twenty four actually. And I saw clearly not just God's will that he wants Iceland to have a witness, but it was my calling in life. And that's what I anchored my soul in. And, and, and he's given me many other passages to anchor my soul in. So it was a five-year process. And, and um, I surrendered. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I surrendered to every mission field in Bible college. 
when somebody would come, I'm serious. I had a burden for everybody that came through. They tell about China, and I'd go to the altar and say, God sent me to China. Uh, God sent me to Africa. I memorize a lot. Of the, I, I like memorizing scripture. God gifted me in that area. And I memorized several books through college when I was in college. And I got some scholarships for memorizing books of the Bible. I thought God was going to send me to a mission field where um, there was no Bibles legal. And I would go in there as a living Bible and be mm-hmm. able to have the word of God. And um, so I and people would come in and tell me about countries that where you couldn't bring in Bibles, and I surrendered to those. And Alaskan, yeah, I, I surrendered to everything. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to go somewhere, and but God showed me in His Word and nailed it down for me, and He's held me there with those with those yeah. passages. And my wife would probably testify to the same thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was 14, yeah, I surrendered to to go to missions, but I didn't really have any idea of where God wanted me to go. As, as the time passed through college, I knew he wanted me to work with children and specifically with orphans. Um, it just laid, laid that upon my heart um, to, to start an orphanage ministry, to, to be able to adopt some. And um, God, he hadn't shown me anything. And, you know, I got through my first year of teaching and I said, okay, God, you know, where do you want me to go? Um, nothing has shown up. And um, you'll see it in my presentation, but the next day. I'm over at some friend's house and they said, hey, we're going over to Moldova on a missions trip. You should come join us. I was like, okay, God. <laughs> I'm listening. And um, so I went and you know, I was in the midst of a move um, and the end of the school year and I really hadn't um, really studied either the country or really prepared my heart for it. And I was just I was just accomplishing and going through you know, a 12-hour day working in the clinic and the services and everything. And I really never even stopped to listen to God until the last day. And it just hit me. I was like, God, this is, this is where you want me to be. And um, when I came back, I was able to give um, a presentation about the trip to, to my home church. And then um, my church is in Washington. And um, my pastor, former pastor, Pastor Clickhorn, um, you know, I finished the presentation. And he says, so, when are you going over to move over there? I was like... <laughs> Oh, really? You know about this too, huh? <laughs> and um, so I was able to go the next year, and it, it was kind of a struggle. I knew God wanted me in missions, but for the first time in my life, I had this my perfect little life, um, my perfect little home, and I really liked America. You know, at least it's comfortable. And you know, my furniture matched. And, and for living in a Navy home, and we moved all the time, my furniture and my pictures and my curtains all matching. This was like amazing. <laughs> I was like, God, I really have to give up my perfect little house. Um, and I went the next year, and I knew I couldn't just be, you know, teaching during the school year and going in the summer. That that wasn't going to fit. That wasn't what God wanted me to do. That really wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and so I surrendered to be full time to, and to go to Moldova. Um, and, and just more and more people were saying, so we know you're going over there. You know, I'm talking to my pastor in Missouri, and he says, well, I've known for three years. <laughs> wow. And um, just reaffirming it. And then the, the people over in Moldova, you know, they say, we know you're supposed to be over here. When? You know, they're still asking me, when are you coming back? Um, and just God was able to use um, even the things that I was teaching my students you know, the verses we were memorizing at the time, the Bible stories, I'm like, God, you're, you're telling me in this too. Okay, I get the message. Um, and it was really neat how God just moved everything to work together. And like I told the, the teenagers, you know God wants you to do something when it is your every waking thought. You wake up with that thought on your mind, and you want to do it. And, you know, that is what you're, you cannot stop thinking about. That's your last thought when you go to bed. 
and that's how it was with Moldova. I knew that that's what God wanted me to do, and I can't wait to get over there. Amen. Well, thank you. Um, let's have a fun one. Let's get to that fun one, huh? What's the most interesting food you've eaten on the mission field? And and maybe there isn't anything in the field you're at. I, I don't know, but um, what do you think? Okay, I can say mine. Um, there's a few things. <laughs> okay, let me just explain first. We don't eat this all the time. <laughs> in, in the winter months, in the but Viking culture, there was a time when they would, it's called Thorblot, and they would um, eat the leftover pieces that they had. Anyway, so probably um, the strangest thing, oh, I wasn't going to say that one. The strangest <laughs> thing is the pickled unmentionables of a ram. Mm. Okay, but the grossest thing is something different. So it's not too bad. wow that's embarrassing okay there are a couple other weird things like uh boiled lamb's head the children love the eyes and the tongue Mm. and uh but it's actually just tastes like lamb it's not that bad or the they make a jam out of the eyeballs it's a kind of gooey um but it's okay eye jam (laughs) yeah um of course they eat caviar but it's not fancy caviar they just take the fish and you know and scoop it out. So that's that's yummy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, also, horse. I'm sorry, Rosa. But we eat horse. <laughs> we don't, I don't buy it because I have a horse lover in our family, but we do eat it because we're served it sometimes. Um, but the grossest, the, the most disgusting thing that I've had is the fermented shark. Um, they, they catch them, of course, and then they bury them. Um, in the old days, they would uh, ferment them by urinating on, urinating on them for a few months. Um, they say they don't do that anymore. I hope that that's true. <laughs> <laughs> this is so embarrassing. We were at summer camp, okay? So like I went out to eat it. We, it was summer camp. There was this fear factor thing, and now, of course, I was the leader. Well, was with the guy. He's ex-Navy, and I was like, uh-huh, he's going to take this challenge. No, he wouldn't. He put it on me. I was like, what? <laughs> really? Really? So I, I, it's, it comes in, it's white, it's kind of gooey. Anyway, I put it in and I swallowed it. It's very, very bad smell, very bad smell. But I, I made myself swallow it because it's just pride, really. <laughs> but it was so bad that my esophagus actually, like, ejected, like, climbed back up out. <laughs> and it, and my, three, I, times. three times that happened. Yeah, yeah, but I got the points anyway for my team. So, yeah. so the fourth time it went down the hatch. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I didn't eat it. <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> Do they, uh, in Iceland, is this some of these things given as as really something that's really good, something that in that culture you, you need to eat? Unfortunately, we, we had our neighbors, and when I first moved to Iceland, I, asked, I went to my neighbor, knocked on his door, I told him we were new to Iceland, I need somebody to help me learn the culture. The wife did not speak any English. The husband um, spoke um, English uh, because he worked on the base. And so she was from the deep country, and she made a very country thormat that it's called. And it's all that stuff. And they invited us to have a formal meal. I nearly vomited when I walked in the house. And it was was a very big statement to say, we are honoring you with this. So you had to eat. (laughs) <laughs> I, yeah. 
Well, praise the Lord. I Stingray was my worst. Stingray, Stingray was the horrible, yeah, nasty. Well, that was the worst. I never think of Iceland, do you, of, of interesting things to eat? But now I will. <laughs> what do you guys think? Kids? Yeah, it's dried. It's like a, a fish um, jerky. Basically, what they do is they catch a, I don't remember which one it is. They catch a bunch of fish, and they get wood racks outside, and they take the fish, hang them up on a rack, and put it on the outside, and let them dry. You think it looks dry all that rain, but those fish get really dry. <laughs> Wow. I don't usually think of fish jerky at all, so that's interesting. <laughs> smell. The smell, probably, yeah. So, anyway, it's what else? Any other interest? It's just, just a fun question. We had baby eels on our salad this summer. Baby this eels? December, yes. They were imitation, thankfully. But I guess in the old days, they used to be the real thing, but they're so expensive now, they just do buy the imitation. But the thought of it, it, my kids, it was interesting seeing their faces because they were like, baby eels. Wow. It's not in Spain, but my favorite was Balut. I think I think I know what that is. That's coming from the Philippines. It's like a half half incubated duck egg. I've heard from my Filipino friends those are good, but it was good? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good. Amen. <laughs> Feel free to come to Moldova. We eat normal food over there. <laughs> well, amen. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, what else? Uh, someone had someone actually texted me a question. How about that? Should should we allow that since they're not here? <laughs> yeah, for, um, it's about uh, mission boards. What function does your mission board have in your ministry? How do they help you? And, and I don't know. Does everybody have a mission board? I, I don't know. You're under a local church. Church, okay, and you guys are with Baptist World Mission. Baptist World Mission. Baptist, yeah, Baptist missions to forgotten peoples. Okay. Um, All points Baptist Mission, which is they're not technically board; it's out of a local church. Okay. Okay. And so then the question was again. I'll answer it first. I don't mind. Um, what are? How does your mission board help you? What are some of the ways that they help? What are some of the functions? Just helping. So so. Um, we skipped over a few questions that I had here, but when a, when a missionary is, is called to a field, they need to get support. They need to get financial support. They need to get the prayer support. They need to just make contacts with other churches, or it can be individuals. Um, so we call that deputation when, a, when a, a family or an individual goes. They go to different churches, so they're on the phone a lot, calling, trying to set up meetings, and uh, hoping these pastors call back, <laughs> trying, to, trying to set up with a lot of people they know, and and uh, then they're on the road, and they're on the road to get that support, and it can take time. And, and, and I've seen some people do it really quick. Uh, to me, uh, a year and a half is super amazing quick. 
two years is still very quick, but the average is more, two and a half, three, three and a half. Um, it can take a while. Some Is that, am I right in speaking that way? I, I don't know. Um, oh, I'm that, sorry, which question? Sorry. The question about the mission board, I can do that one. Okay, or, give me one second. We'll okay, get to that. I want to explain a little bit so we can understand mission boards. Um, but um, so anyways, it takes some time to get that support. And sometimes your mission board will put, put an amount. So you're trying to figure out. So the Philippines might be a lower end uh, financially how much it takes. Depends where you're at in the Philippines probably. Not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. Um, I know that Seoul, Korea is very, very expensive. Um, and so lots of times a mission board can put an amount kind of for cost of living, for ministry, and so you're going around trying to get that. And often what the question that's asked is, what percentage are you out of your support? Which could be, you know, whatever that might be, 50%, 75 wherever they're at. Um, so when they get that, that amount, then they go, and usually they're over there lots of times, not always, but it seems like they call it four or five years. It's typical. It's not, not always that the case. And they'll come home, and we call it furlough. Furlough is a time where you report to the churches that are supporting you, so you'll... Sh- You'll, you'll let them know what's going on. Um, and as Brother Weimer said, it, it's really nice that churches are going there to see. That's where you get a full report, really. Um, and so so some of the helps that mission boards can be, or you can your, your local church, but let's go with the mission board. Okay, the, our mission board first. Pastor Kaminsky wants to know that the money they put in the offering plate that you guys sent to us to put in the mail gets to us. And so one of the big roles of our mission board is to not embezzle, um, but have a good name <laughs> to make sure that 100% of the funds that come from the supporting church gets to the missionary. And so in my opinion as a missionary, that was the first thing I was looking for, impeccable name, of a good name as far as handling money. And to this date, BMFB has not embezzled money, thankfully. And I'm very grateful for that. So they kind of help us with that area. As far as getting to Iceland, we've never had really a missionary uh, go to Iceland and so a lot of the information they had, they don't have. I mean, it was kind of a big blank in that area. And um, so they didn't really do that. Uh, the, our mission, your mission boards can help you as much as you need or as little as you need. And uh, I had a lot of world experience. A lot of tra- I didn't really ask my mission board a lot of questions as far as my needs. I could travel. I could, you know, I, you know we were trained well in college. So our mission board didn't, you know, they can do all of the stuff that you need to do, help coordination, help you make it a video, help you to find some contacts, but at the time, our, we were um, just, we just uh, got opened up some doors, and our mission board didn't help us a lot on the deputation side, um, but their biggest thing is, is that, that our churches know that when they send funds, that, 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 and they're available to help us if we have a need, we can call them, they have other missionaries that, that did works in other fields, and uh, we're dealing with some other missionaries that, uh, that translated or started a Christian school or did a summer camp, and I'll, you know, pass back some ideas, they can put us in contact with some good people. And, and as far as that, that's concerned, but the mission board um, for us was, was you guys want to know that when you send money that it's not going uh, to somebody else or, or to a bad place. So, And uh, there was another question about um, something about the mission board. Did I answer them all? I think that was very helpful. Uh, okay. One thing else that's out there, um, they call it a clearinghouse. Uh, there's one down in Texas, I think, where a, lot of, a few of our missionaries, we just send the money to that clearinghouse, and they just... They, they oversee the financial aspect. So they're making sure that all the different churches. So you have to understand, each each missionary that's up here, it might take 100 churches. Well, I don't know about 100. But that, yeah, 100 churches that are all giving in, all giving to the, the, the pool. And so that somebody has to collect all that and then send that and, and, and uh, 
and I, maybe I don't even know fully, but uses all that money and pays, helps pay for certain things or sends the money over to the missionary. Okay, so that that's a lot of people involved. So you can see how there's times where churches um, may drop off. They just can't support or there's a split or whatever. How how some of that money comes out of the, the pile is not being put in there. Do, do we see that? So there's we're, we're one. We are one aspect and one help to, to the missionaries in, in what we do. So our average is about one hundred and twenty five up to two hundred and four. 40, I think, that we give to individual missionaries. So we are one part in them going, um, but we want to be faithful in giving that. They, they, they count on it, okay? One of the policies we have here at our church is we, um, and we could do this if we really felt led to, but we try to keep our monthly mission uh, support for missionaries. This year it was around $60,000 or something like that, 50-some thousand dollars. That's for the whole year, but we want to keep two months of that out. We want to at least have that money in our fund so that we have a two-month bu- buffer there in case we're, we're running short on missions funds. And we've never ran short since I've been here, but that's one of the ideas. Is that, is that helpful a little bit? I did forget to mention two things. If, if you come as a missionary and you need all the kind of help, they, they're willing to help everybody. And the second thing was is that financial accountability, we have to fill it accordingly. A report um, um, recording every penny, not just personal funds, but 100% of the funds that we use, and we have to keep receipts, and, and uh, they, they file our taxes for us. That's another um, big job that they, have to, okay. that they have to do. Good, good. That's helpful. Anything else somebody else wants to add? Uh, for us, Baptist World Mission has been a huge help, a resource, and uh, they see themselves a very similar in philosophy where, um, you know, local churches send missionaries, but that's a big task in today's world, especially considering taxes and uh, lots of other ramifications. And uh, so they, they say, look, we can do pillar to post, whatever you need in between to assist the local church. And that that's a huge blessing for our church because... Uh, my church couldn't really handle the funds and, and the receipts, and we used to do that for a missionary until we, we got uh, to a point where it was just too much to keep up with all the legal ramifications. Uh, one unique thing that Baptist World does is every month, each missionary contributes $25 toward a fund, and it's really an, it's set aside as an emergency fund. And uh, thanks the Lord that we haven't had to use it too many times, but recently we have a friend uh, in the Amazon and uh, he, he and um, his wife started getting sick, and they didn't quite know what it was. Uh, they uh, eventually figured out that Buddy had dengue fever. And uh, by the time they had diagnosed it, it was uh, to the point where he was almost in a coma. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the mission board and all the contact with the local church, and they said, what we're going to do is we're just going to rent a private jet fly him immediately to Florida and give him the medical help he needs. And uh, they did exactly that. I think it was over $25,000 that it cost to do that. And um, But uh, because of doing that, uh, several doctors looked at that and said that saved his life. Uh, He was very pivotal time for him about the next 36 hours, whether he would actually survive or not. Uh, He did survive. In fact, he's back in the Amazon jungle. And so you think you look at your local church and say, could a local church just say, let me put out twenty five thousand. Let's just rent a jet for our missionary. But uh, that's one of the the things that uh, mission boards. uh, Well, for us, I don't know if other boards do that, but Baptist World has to really 
to think through some things, and they have um, many contingencies set up that would be evacuation. They've done that with some missionaries as well. So a lot of things that uh, I wouldn't be able to do, think through, they're keeping an eye out for us, and we really appreciate that, besides good. the financial aspect as That's well. That's good. Well, I, man, I, I'd love to go all night with these, and I, but uh, I'm not sitting in those views. I am standing, though, but um, I, I want to be um, understanding. But uh, is there someone just dying to ask a question? That okay. <laughs> Wait, I see Bobby here. She has her hand. No, <laughs> we'll do both of them. <laughs> we'll do ladies first, Bobby, and then we'll do you. Oh, support levels. Okay. Support levels and we'll get to earnings. Was that yours too? No. Okay, good. We're about 75%. Okay, so 51%. Mine's not so simple. Um, We've been on the field and um, we have um, um, $750 lower support now. We've been there for 16 years, so we've had some attrition. So I don't have a percentage on it, but we also have projects that we're trying to raise money for. So it's hard to nail a percentage on it, but we need to raise $750. Um, we had a church that supported us for $500 a month. That's a lot of money. That's a rarity. And uh, they changed their mission uh, philosophy to um, if you're on the field more than five years. Uh, and they're going to send only teams from their church and do short-term missionaries. So they, they're, they're, they're getting rid of the missionaries that are on the field for a longer uh, period of time. So that $500 is going to go away. And so we have to replace that plus $250. And then projects. So I don't have a percentage, but we, you know, I have a, a detailed list of our projects too. But uh, two million five hundred seventy-five dollars made. So just. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of that mission board again? <laughs> what about you, Sarah? I'm at seventy-five percent. Okay, good. Amen. That's great, Thanks, Bobby. Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. The first thing is we're short, and now you've got something else. Uh, what language do they speak there in Moldova? They speak about eight different languages, um, but mainly Romanian and Russian. And I'll be working on Romanian first and secondarily 